Well, good morning again. This morning, I'd like to take a minute to talk to all of us about marriage. I know what you're thinking. But KT, what are you going to tell us about marriage? You're not even married yet. I know. That's why we're going to talk about Jewish marriage. Because that's something we all don't know a whole lot about. So, we're going to start with talking a little bit about the Jewish engagement ceremony, rituals, whatever you want to call it, practices, right? So, if you were a man in Jewish times back about 2,000 years ago, and you wanted to marry a woman, first thing you would need to do is find out how much she was going to cost. Now, I'm not talking about how much is the ring going to be, or how much am I going to have to spend to afford this woman to live with me. I'm talking about purchasing her. Yep. It's true. In that time, women would be purchased. But it's a little bit more romantic than we might think. In fact, the man and his family would go before the woman and her family and offer payment. They would pay with whatever they had, whether it was with animals or with money, whatever they got. They would make the payment. But it wouldn't be just to purchase that woman and it's like, oh, you're mine. Cool. Done. In fact, they would be making the purchase to have the opportunity to ask the woman to marry her. That's where it gets interesting. See, he would go and he would make that purchase. And once he had purchased the right to go and ask her to be married, they would get all the families together and they would come in and they would have this big ceremony. And this ceremony uh, would basically conclude with the man taking a cup, filling it with wine, and offering it to the woman. And he would say, this is my covenant with you. Essentially, Will you marry me? And he would offer it to her, and then she, talk about pressure in front of all these people, right? Most people today go up to a mountaintop where it's just them and a photographer. <laughs> now, sitting with all of these people, right? Sitting with all of your family, all of his family, her family, whatever, he has to make that statement. And she gets to choose. If she drinks it, it means yes. If she doesn't drink it, it means no. Whole families here. Goodness. But imagine she drinks it. She drinks it and they say, okay, we're not going to see each other for a while. In fact, for the entire engagement, we're not going to be around each other. We're going to go and we're going to do our own thing and we're going to get ready. Right? That's completely foreign today. Basically, the woman would go back to her hometown. And the cool thing is, she would be getting ready. People wouldn't call her by her name anymore. In fact, they would call her one who was purchased with a price. One who was purchased with a price. That's what they would call her the entire time of their engagement. Now the man, you can imagine what he's doing, he's just waiting for the time to come, right? Uh, not so much. In fact, he goes and he goes to his family's house, which in Jewish tradition, if you were to grow your family, you would just add on rooms onto your house to where you would just have this huge house with all these different rooms or apartments or whatever you want to call them. So he would go back and he would say, all right, Dad, time to get started. I'm going to work and I'm going to prepare a place for my bride. And he'd start building. He'd start working on this apartment. And he would think, okay, yeah, this guy's really excited to be married, so he's going to work really fast and, and get the job done as quick as he can so he can go get his bride, right? Here's the interesting part. The bride or the groom never was able to say when it was finished. 
The dad was the one who decided. This father would decide, okay, your house is ready. Your room is ready. Go get your bride. So both the groom and the bride never knew when the time would come. In fact, they would be completely blindsided by it. So, this essentially meant the bride, who's hanging out over here, getting prepared, as brides do for their wedding day, she has no idea when the day's coming. But boy, when that day comes. When that day comes, the groom says, okay, dad is ready. He says, yeah, go for it, son. He goes and he gathers up all his groomsmen, right? He gets this big party together, and they start walking, they start going, and they're dancing, and they're cheering, they start blowing horns, because, man, time's come. I'm going to go get my bride. You can imagine how caught off guard the bride was at all this. You better hope you're ready, right? They're coming, and they're coming to get you now. And so that would happen, and they would go, and they'd get her, and they'd take her back, and they would be with her, and they would be happily ever after married, right? Does any of this sound familiar yet? Any of it? Maybe a little? Hopefully so. In fact, this is essentially what Jesus does for his bride. But you didn't know that Jesus was married, right? Well, maybe not yet. He's engaged, though. He's engaged with people. Lots of people. But all those people make up one body, one bride. His church. His church is made up of people who have committed themselves to him, who have accepted his offer, who have said, I do, who have obeyed the gospel and put their faith in Christ. They've repented of their sins and they said, I'm going to turn away and I'm going to live for you now. We're baptized into him. This is the bride of Christ. But here's the thing. we got to realize some things about the bride of Christ. First thing I think we have to realize is just like in Jewish tradition, Jesus has paid the price for his bride. He has paid the price already. It's not something that we're waiting for. It's not something that may happen one day. It's already happened. Done. Signed, sealed, delivered. I'm yours. Jesus has paid the price for his bride. He found the price to be death. It's a pretty heavy price for a bride, right? But he didn't consider that to not be worth it. In fact, he said, I'll do it. He looks at his bride, and let's not fool ourselves here. His bride is not something that's super pretty. It's not got its hair all done up, right? In fact, his bride is a sinful, dirty, adulterous people. That's the one he wants. That's the one that he says in Romans 5.8, as it says. It says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not that we got everything right to begin with. It's in fact quite the opposite. That Jesus looks at us and though we are broken and we are bloody, we are not worth anything by any worldly standards. He looks at us and he says, I can do it. I can make it better. And he offers that to us. In Ephesians, we hear about how husbands are supposed to love their wives and vice versa. In fact, in Ephesians 5, verse 25, it says this, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 
So here's the thing. He's made that purchase. But he's purchased us not so that we can cleanse ourselves, but so that he can cleanse us with his blood. He's made the purchase, and he's also offered the proposal. He offers this proposal to everyone. On the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, he's sitting with his room, and there's room full of disciples, and he's sitting and he's talking with them. And at one point during their meal that they're having, this Passover meal, he takes what's known as the third cup. There are multiple cups in that meal. And that third cup was known as the cup of salvation. A lot of times it would be taken and set aside and not touched. It's kind of tradition that that would sit over there. But it's believed that Jesus took that cup. And with that cup, he says, this is my new cup. It's with my blood. Drink it. Essentially, what these guys were hearing might be a little awkward. But hearing Jesus say, will you marry? He says, I have a new covenant that I'm offering to you. It's not just to you. It's for everyone who's coming up down the road. The question is, have you accepted this proposal? I don't just mean have you taken communion each week. I mean, have you accepted the proposal? Have you truly said, yes, I do to Jesus? I mean, have you obeyed the gospel? Have you chosen to be baptized into him? And if you have already, have you really said, I do each and every week? Have you renewed your vows, so to speak, to say that I'm going to live for you? I'm going to live for my groom, our groom, Jesus. Not only that, Jesus has purchased us, he's proposed to us, but Jesus is also preparing a place for us. we got to realize that. Jesus is preparing a place for his bride. That includes us. Turn to John chapter 14 real quick, if you have a Bible. If not, there should be one in the future. John chapter 14. We have a different account of Jesus on that night whenever he was betrayed. He instituted the Lord's Supper and he said many, many things to his disciples. But here's something that's very interesting that he says to them. John 14 verse 1. It says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms or mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Notice anything? Jesus is adding on. He's adding on rooms, not just for anybody, but for his bride. He's in heaven right now, and he's preparing a place for you, a place for me. He's just waiting. Boy, is he eager to get back. But here's the thing. In Matthew 24, we read about You don't have to turn there. I'll just kind of tell you about it. Matthew 24, we we see Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming back. How crazy is that, right? Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, Messiah, the Almighty One, doesn't even know when he's coming back to this. And it should make us feel a little better that we don't know either, right? He's waiting for the Father to say, It's done. Go get your bride. Now this, I'll have to be honest, is probably the easiest thing for my simple worldly mind to understand. Right? I can only think about whenever I was a little kid, or not even that little, it's 
probably 10 or 12 years old. I really wanted to go hang out with some friends. My dad said, oh, time. Yard needs to be mowed. So I would go and I would rush through and I'd be like, man, got to get this yard mowed. Chugging along, I'd get it done. And I'm like, all right, yard's mowed. See you later, Dad. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. Let me inspect it first. He goes and he looks at it and he sees these rows, right? It's like constant, just what, what in the world? It's like I was turning it on the side or something because I was mowing, right? And he says, no, you get back over there and you do it again. Oh, by the way, you need to weed it. By the way, you need to trim the bushes. And here's the deal. He's not just saying that to keep me there longer. He's not just telling me that I need to do it right so that I don't get to go and hang out with my friends. God is not just waiting, making Jesus wait, making us wait. He wants it to be perfect for his bride. He wants everything to be in order. Imagine. Imagine the creator of the universe watching over as Jesus prepares a place for us. Imagine what that would look like. But not only that, he's waiting. Because he knows, hey, your buddy over there, your friend that you want to hang out with, there's another friend, he's a little busy right now, he's tied up, he's not sure he can make it yet. We're going to wait to make sure that he can make it too. Essentially what I'm getting at is this. Jesus is waiting for more people to come to him. God is waiting for more people to respond to that invitation, to that offer. Here's a question. Who doesn't want to be there? Who doesn't want to be in a place like that? I don't know that I've ever had anybody prepare something for so long with such dedication for me. I've had a lot of good parties thrown by my mom, sure. I've had a lot of people, you know, give me stuff over the years and tell me how much they care about me. That doesn't even come close to what Jesus is doing for us. And here's the cool part. Jesus doesn't just stop there. If you're still in John chapter 14, let's take a look at verse 3. Because here's the deal. Jesus will return for his bride. He will return for his bride. We know because he says this, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now here's the thing. Jesus is coming back, but we don't know when. He doesn't know it. Whenever my brother got married a few years back, about five years now, I guess it was, I witnessed from the point that they got engaged to the point that they were married, all of the preparation that happened. And granted, it was from a very safe distance, right? But I witnessed it. And I saw how much effort my sister-in-law and her family and my mom, they all did to get her ready and get everything ready for that day. Right? But they knew the day. They knew when it was coming. They had a set deadline and they were saying, you know what? We're going to have a perfect dress. We're going to get all the food together. We got the perfect guy doing the ceremony. Oh, and you're going to get 10 pounds lost before then, right? You're going to be ready. We're going to get you ready. Now, here's a question. How many of you ladies in here today would like to get married without ever knowing what day it was going to be on? Don't see any hands. Here's the thing. We, as the bride of Christ, we've got to be ready. 
got to be ready. It's coming. We don't know when. We have no idea. Neither does Jesus. But as much as as much effort as he's putting into preparing a place for us, he expects his bride to be getting ready to. He's purified us. He's cleansed us. Here's the thing. Let's look over at our, our main text. Revelation 19. Revelation 19, verse 6. It says this. Talking about that day. When the time has come. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, pure and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Notice what it says there. It says that the bride made herself ready. She's adorned herself with fine linens. What are those fine linens? What are the what's the beautiful wedding dress that she clothes herself with? The righteous deeds of the saints. That's us. You haven't noticed. That's us. Not just here in Winsboro, but across this entire globe. Anyone calls on the name of the Lord who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's his bride. The righteous deeds of all of those people combined. That's the wedding dress. Clothing yourself with fine linens. The question is. For you, for me, for everyone who has said I do before to Christ, are you making yourself ready? You're getting ready. I don't just mean, are you going to church every Sunday? I don't just mean, are you helping out whenever we need to prepare a meal? I don't just mean, are you volunteering to say a prayer at church? These are all great things. But notice what the clothing is of the bride. It is not being there each week. It's not just going and saying, hey, I'm a Christian. It's the righteous deeds of her people. What do we do the other 167 hours of every single week? We spend this beautiful hour here together. Are we making ourselves ready? Am I making myself ready? For the day when Jesus comes back and he says, Hey, Dad says it's ready. Let's go. I'm not doing that. The question is, if you're not in Christ, if you've not obeyed the gospel, if you've not repented of your sins, confessed them as Lord, and been baptized into him, what's stopping you? The price has been paid. He's just waiting for you to answer. If you are in Christ, Here's the kicker. He left us a little something. We get to renew our vows each week. Every start of the week, we get to say, either I do, or no, not today. 
this morning as we share in communion together, as we take that bread and we take that cup, which represents the sacrifice, the purchase that he has made for us, he's standing here and he is offering it to us and he's saying, will you marry me? Will you renew your vows this morning? Will you renew your commitment to go into this world and be the bride of Christ, be the one who is purchased with a price? My, my encouragement to you is to do it. What's stopping you? What's stopping us? The hard part's already been done. We know that He is preparing a place for us. He expects us, as we know that, expects us to be making ourselves ready. If you have a need this morning, if you need the prayers of the church, or if you need to obey the gospel, if you need to renew your commitment to Christ, Whatever the case may be, we just ask that you'll come as we stand and as we sing.